I want to take a second to remind you to sign up for the Poso Daily Brief. It is completely free. It'll be one email that's sent to you every day. You can stop the endless scrolling trying to find out what's going on in your world. We will have this delivered directly to you totally for free. Go to humanevents.com slash Poso. Sign up today. It's called the Poso Daily Brief. Read what I read for show prep. You will not regret it. Humanevents.com slash Poso. Totally free. The Poso Daily Brief. what happens when the fourth turning meets fifth generation warfare. A commentator, international social media sensation, and former Navy intelligence veteran. This is Human Events with your host, Jack Posobiec. Deliver us from evil. American infrastructure plan used to, you know, we used to be the best in the world in infrastructure. Literally, we were ranked ranked number one in the world. The majority of Americans think President Biden is simply too old to run again. How how does the White House combat that? Again, it's just one of those difficult things where he was more or less exonerated on the legal side, but kneecapped politically. Former President Trump's challenging week ahead. He has a hearing this week in the federal classified documents case against him in Florida. Now, if he appears, it would be his first court appearance in that case since he was arraigned. This morning, Defense Secretary Lloyd Austin in critical care, hospitalized at Walter Reed again yesterday, this time for symptoms of a bladder issue, according to the Pentagon. I think that any civilian uh, loss, any civilian casualty is a tragedy, uh, and it's a tragedy that is forced upon us by Hamas. I, if America's not strong, we can't help any of our allies. And I'll have to explain to them why the Senate is going to work all through Super Bowl weekend, which is fine with me. We're going to make a big priority, except on something that's critical to this country, which is the invasion that's going on on our own border. Clearly, Donald Trump, what he says goes these days. I mean, in reality, McConnell can't be removed as leader, right. but he's effectively not the leader. Yeah, I think the past few days have really shown that he used to be a leader sort of known for being able to to control, not control his conference, but he had a lot of influence on them. He could sort of shepherd them to, to go in a direction of his choosing. And clearly we're seeing that uh, that fade. And not only that, but his critics, people like uh, Ted Cruz, uh, Mike Lee, who are calling for him to step aside, they're becoming even more vocal. And increasingly it is becoming clear that If Trump is elected to the White House, there's no place for McConnell in terms of leadership. Three years ago, we had the most secure border in the history of our country. We ended catch and release in our country. We had catch and release, but it was in Mexico. We released them in Mexico. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome aboard. Today's edition of Human Events Daily, live from Washington, D.C. Today is February 12th, 2024, Anno Domini. Genesee Yvonne Moreno. Genesee Yvonne Moreno. This is the name of 36-year-old individual. We don't have all of the data quite out yet on this. Who brought a long rifle into Lakewood Church, Houston. This is yesterday, along with a young boy. There's some reports that the boy was in her care, but that the boy was not actually directly related to her. It may have been uh, the child of former relation. Um, <clears throat> we're also told that this individual was at one point identified as Jeffrey. 
So now goes by Genesee, previously went by Jeffrey. We're told that at a string of arrests, including assault, drugs, and weapons charges, have no idea how this person was able to have the custody of a five-year-old little boy, but apparently did somehow in Texas. That's going to be a huge question for the government of Texas as this investigation continues. Um, we're now told, according to a representative from the Montgomery County District Attorney's Office, told, tells the Houston Chronicle that the child is not expected to survive. This five-year-old little boy clinging to life, not expected to make it right now in Houston, was in Lakewood Church, Joel Osteen's church, down there in Houston, was involved in this shooting. I'm not sure, again, all the details yet, but if you can, say a prayer for that little boy. Because this situation, Genesee Moreno, or Jeffrey Escalante, However, they described themselves, had the words free Palestine written on the gun. This is a tragedy. This is a horror beyond all horrors and a nightmare. And to speak from the heart that, you know, for me, I believe that when an innocent child dies, that, uh, especially if they're baptized, that they go straight to God. And when something like that happens, something as horrible as that, we don't know yet. We don't know right now whether or not this five-year-old little boy has been killed. And I say, I have a five-year-old little boy that I dropped off to school this morning. And my thoughts are right. We've got a lot going on with the Senate. And Senator Ron Johnson is going to join us here in the next night. Stay tuned. Human events daily. Ladies and gentlemen, one of the best ways that you can support us here at Human Events and the work that we do is subscribing to us on our Rumble channel. Make sure you're subscribed, you hit the notifications so you'll never miss a clip, you'll never miss a new live episode, and we're putting them out every single day of the week. Grew up in the hood, I rolled with bloods, and then boys had a saying. You can't be listening to all that slappy whack, trim out his eyelids, a bam ship, nippy bam bam, like human events with Jack Posobiec. All right, Jack Posobiec back here live, human events daily, Washington, D.C. Folks, the world is in flames. Bidenomics is a complete and total disaster, but it cannot and it will not ruin my day. Do you know why? That is because I start my day with a hot America first cup of blackout coffee. America coffee is, <laughs> excuse me, blackout coffee is 100% Americana. It is 100% committed to conservative values. From sourcing the beans to the roasting process, customer support and shipping, they embody true American values and accept no compromise on taste or quality. Look, I love this stuff. Tanya Tay, I was, I was running a little late. We were up late watching a game. We were up late seeing everything was going on. Tanya Tay ran outside to the car with my blackout coffee this morning as was taking our son to, uh, to school. So we had to make sure that I got my blackout coffee in. And she knows Tanya Tay is wonderful. We love her very much. Blackoutcoffee.com slash POSO. Use promo code POSO20 for 20% off your first order. We know, folks, Valentine's Day is coming up. Forget the, you know, we got, or I'm not going to say forget, but we got the flowers, we got the cot, we got the chocolate, but you know what else you can get? The gift of being awake, not woke, 
with Blackout Coffee. That's blackoutcoffee.com slash POSO, blackoutcoffee.com slash POSO, promo code POSO20. The new governing coalition. What is this new governing coalition? Well, the Senate held a Super Bowl struggle session yesterday in Washington, D.C., and Senator Ron Johnson joins us now. Senator, uh, I know that uh, Senate leadership is on their way to Kiev right now. Are you are you currently in Kiev or are you in the United States? Well, I think we're all here in Washington, D.C., and uh, certainly those of us who want to secure border uh, have been doing everything we can to make that point over the you know, course of the last couple of days. Uh, both in media and on the floor of the Senate, uh, it's an extremely important important point to make. I, I think most Americans do believe that uh, the president's job uh, and members of Congress's job is to keep Americans safe and secure, and that includes securing our own border. So it is, it is beyond comprehension that uh, a group of people have just completely abandoned uh, that imperative and now are just doing everything they can to quick pass uh, 90 to 100 billion dollar uh, aid package for primarily Ukraine, some for Israel, some for Taiwan, without doing anything on the border. And, and by the way, the, the, the bipartisan border bill uh, was a bipartisan immigration bill that would have done far more harm than good by literally limiting a president's authority to secure the border. So th there's no way you can look at that as a, as a border security bill. And there's no way that the Democrats should be able to point at that and say, oh, I want to secure the border. No, they're looking for a political cover, and unfortunately, Leader McConnell gave them that political cover. And so, so walk us through, when they're talking about this new governing coalition, the number, I think it's about 18 or so of Senate Republicans, your colleagues on, uh, on this side of the aisle, including leadership, that are essentially saying, if there's an issue where we're in agreement with Schumer and the Democrats, we're just going to cut deals with them and not listen to anybody else on, in the other parts of the conference. Well, I'd first ask, how many times have Democrats joined with the majority or the you know, a unanimous Republican conference and helped us pass what the American people want? Uh, it's never happened. What Leader McConnell has been quite good at, I, I would say it's not a particularly heavy lift, is uh, getting just enough Republicans to join with a unified Democrat uh, caucus to pass Democrat priorities. Uh, that's not conservative governance. It's not even center-right governance. That's caving in, capitulating to the radical left. And in this case, uh, you know, th th there always may be different members that join that governing coalition, but there there's generally a core group that uh, is happy to do that. Uh, what I think we ought to do is try and find uh, issues that unite Republicans in the House, in the Senate, and then take it to the public and have the, the American public put pressure on Democrats to do what the American people want. The classic example of that was border security. Again, th this is, since I've been a U.S. senator now for going on 13 years, there has never been an issue in which the, the vast majority of the American public so strongly agrees with Republicans. So how can it be that McConnell set up a process where he's negotiating in secret with Democrats who want an open border, who caused this problem, that are just looking for political cover. And then he gave them that political cover by producing an awful bill. Listen, I didn't tank that bill. The public tanked that bill in less than 24 hours once they actually saw what was in it. They realized this isn't border security. This is you know, a Democrat wish list in terms of immigration reform. And so they rejected it. But unfortunately, McConnell let us down into that box canyon. And now the, the, the media and Democrats are blaming Republicans 
for not securing the border. I mean, how can you do that? How can you take such a politically popular issue that people agree with Republicans on and turn the tables on Republicans and all of a sudden have President Trump and House Republicans and conservative Republicans in the Senate be blamed for the problem that President Biden caused and that his Democrat colleagues in the Senate and the House support. It's, it's beyond belief. You know, what, what genius political acumen, huh? Well, Senator, I mean, the math works both ways, right? Because there's no way that any of these other bills would have been able to be passed had it not been for this coalition. And so they easily could have just said, we are going to get a clean border bill passed and then we can have some discussions about any of this other stuff, couldn't they? Well, that's what we were asking for within our conference. Now, we all knew that Leader McConnell's primary uh, priority was Ukraine funding. But as weeks were building up toward the tail, tail of the last year, if even Leader McConnell realized uh, this is going to be heavy lifting we, unless we do something on the border. And so all of a sudden he's switching his position saying, well, colleagues, we're going to have to defeat cloture on this uh, supplemental until we get border security. we got to show Democrats we're serious about it. I kind of rolled my eyes at the time because I kind of realized he must have had some play up his sleeve. And the play up his sleeve was secret negotiations that resulted in a bill that was so awful even he voted against it. And I think only four Republicans in the end voted against his bipartisan bill, which shows you just how awful it was. And then they immediately turned to this supplemental, this, you know, the, the, the Ukraine funding. Uh, even though we were begging fellow senators in conference, guys, give us a couple of weeks. Well, let, let's work with the House and let's actually produce a bill or proposal that would actually secure the border. Give us a couple of weeks. You guys have had months of secret negotiations, you, you drop this thing, it got destroyed by the public in less than 24 hours, give us an opportunity, but they wouldn't give us that opportunity. They're you know, pr pretty smug about their governing coalition, aren't they? The new governing coalition, I mean, it just sounds so ominous, especially when, as you say, uh, now you're, uh, as Speaker Johnson, no relation, of course, you're saying that he's essentially been iced out of these negotiations as well? Yeah, he, he wasn't part of this at all. This was just McConnell was the Republican negotiator. I know, I know he had James Langford, who's ineligible about the border, gets along well, Democrats. OK, I can certainly see putting him in the room there. But uh, Senator Chris Murphy pretty well told the truth, said, well, McConnell's staff was in the room the entire time McConnell wrote the bill. There's the reality. So Speaker Johnson had nothing to do with this thing whatsoever. So we are certainly hoping on the House to uh, abide by that commitment we as Republicans made to, to our supporters, to the American people, that before we send money to help Ukraine secure its border, and you know we've got differences in our conference in terms of to what extent people want to do that. I think we all want to help the Ukrainian people. But before we send money to Ukraine to secure their border, we better secure ours first. That is the pledge Republicans made. That is the pledge that Mitch McConnell completely violated in uh, his grand strategy that now has uh, put uh, Republicans in a really awkward position. Well, that's exactly right, because, of course, now you're in a position where it's it's all this stuff is tied in together. And as you say, the media narrative, of course, is going to be that it's Republicans that are holding this all up. And it almost seems like it's a it's a freebie to the mainstream media to give them the narrative, of course, in an election year that's going to be very close, that suddenly it's the Republicans holding up all of these things. Yeah, we only had leverage to the extent that Democrats wanted funding for Ukraine. And we only had that leverage 
as long as we never gave Democrats political cover. Well, McConnell gave Democrats political cover. So now they can sit back and they you know, tell, tell the you know, cows come home, sit there and say, well, I, I was for border security. Uh, I was for the bipartisan bill. Um, it's just the knuckle-dragging Republicans that uh, just refuse to cooperate with, I guess, that governing coalition to deliver border security. I mean, I, I'm happy to talk about how awful the bill was, but that's right now the, the, the media, and it'll be a powerful media. I mean, the media is not on our side. They're, they're all for an open border like the Democrats are. But McConnell gave the media and Democrats that political cover, and they're going to use it very effectively. Well, and to your point, not only did they uh, give up the cover, and they, it also gives up the leverage in general. And of course, the last time you were here on the program, you were you basically telegraphed for us how bad this bill was going to be. And I remember I was I was thinking at the time, and some of our staff said, "Look, Senator Johnson's lighting this thing up. It can't possibly be be that bad." Turns out it was actually worse. It was worse. You know, we 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 spent billions of dollars building up the Customs Border Patrol to handle thousands of immigrants a day when what we should be doing is, you know, let's secure the border and bring that to, to a trickle of individuals per day. Um, there were so many elements that just didn't make sense, uh, you know, all kinds of work permits and, you know, visa and not even reforming the, the, the parole process, which has completely been abused. Now, prior to Biden, on average, maybe there were 5,000 people granted parole uh, a year. Uh, Biden is grant that to hundreds of thousands of people, just like uh, President Obama completely abused prosecutorial discretion under DACA, which sparked this entire border crisis that's now been ongoing since about 2012-2013. Senator, we're coming up on a quick break, but I do want to get in deeper into this bill specifically, uh, what was passed, and then what, of course, was the bill that came out of this negotiation. You were right on the money all along. People were saying that, oh, this thing was going to be good. This thing was an absolute nightmare. I want to also, for our audience, give them a look ahead. What's going to come next? The new governing coalition. We're here at Human Events Daily. Senator Ron Johnson showing us how the sausage is made. Stay tuned. We'll be right back. You know, they talk about influencers. These are influencers. And uh, they're friends of mine. Jack Rosovic. Where's Jack? Jack. He's done a great job. All right, Jack Pacific back live here, Human Events Daily, Washington, D.C. Senator Ron Johnson is on with us. Senator Johnson, so this bill that we know, uh, of course, you had presaged it for us and how just how bad it was. Now, we know the bill was dead, but I think that it has been killed, but I think that we haven't given quite enough time to just what was in this bill. And I have a suspicion that we might be seeing some of these elements again. Well, first of all, Democrats, again, they're very open in terms of what they eventually want. They want a path to citizenship to all these people that they let into this country. Because they realize these folks can be very appreciative of President Biden and Democrats. So this is about changing uh, our election system here and, and really you know, putting in a, a one-party system in this country if they can possibly do it. So this is about getting votes for Democrats. Um, but I do want to concentrate a little bit on what I thought was by far the worst part of this bill, which just made it uh, obviously worse than, than not passing anything, because th there were elements that we could use. That, but let's start by saying that the Supreme Court ruled on existing law, said that it exudes deference to the president when it comes to securing the border. I mean, that's basically existing law. It's, it's that presidential authority in ex using existing law that President Trump 
used to secure the border by himself. Uh, now, he certainly met resistance from uh, radical left open border groups time and time again. You know, courts oftentimes weren't helpful. And so the courts have certainly undermined that authority, but still, President Trump used that authority and over a 12-month period pretty well secured the border. We stopped the flow of unaccompanied children, family units, and, and single adults were way down. Uh, President Biden then used that exact same executive authority and opened the border up. So just those two facts imply the fact that President Biden would have the executive authority to secure the border. Now, there are certainly things that could be helpful. And honestly, in the Langford bill, there were things that would help a president secure the border. The problem is, uh, is the, the 5,000 person threshold um, Listen, I think it's an issue. You're basically normalizing thousands of people a day. The really troubling aspect of that is the 4,000 discretionary threshold. Yeah, I'm not opposed to a threshold that would force President Biden to stop processing asylum claims and secure the border. I'm not opposed to a threshold. 5,000 is way too high. But the really terrible aspect of the bill is the 4,000 discretionary threshold. So what that implies is that a president really doesn't have the authority a president does have in existing law. And then to compound matters, that that discretionary authority and even the, the mandatory authority only lasted for three years and it went away. So you can envision radical left open border groups in the future going to courts and saying, this president can't stop processing asylum claims. This president can't send people back to Mexico to wait to have their asylum claim adjudicated. You know, Congress already spoke. The president doesn't have that authority. That's why they gave him that authority in that bill. It was discretionary after 4,000. And that authority only lasted three years. That authority has gone now. So that, to me, was by far the worst aspect of that bill. It's not talked about enough because I think it takes a little while to explain exactly what the concern is. And you can say it's somewhat speculative, but I think it's 100% certain that uh, liberal groups, open border groups, will do everything they can to prevent a president that wants to secure the border from actually doing so. And the last thing we ought to be doing is passing a bill that strengthens their hands at frustrating a serious, a serious president's attempt to secure the border. And so this essentially, as you say, would would kind of hamper that direct presidential authority that already exists because the president, of course, has to operate within this existing, this new, which would be a new, essentially, uh, framework of legislation. Yeah, yes, and again, by, by telling the president, now we're going to make you, first of all, stop uh, processing asylum claims, but at 4,000, make it discretionary for him to do so, it, it makes it seem like he doesn't have that authority. Where he does, and I know it's been challenged in the courts, but he basically has that authority. Um, and so by wait, by Congress weighing in, that you've taken away ambiguity in the law and say, no, even Congress didn't think the president had that authority because they granted it to him above 4,000 a day, but they only granted it to him for three years and then that went away. So again, you can, you can understand how open border groups would use that law against a president who wants to secure the border, let's say, oh, I don't know, when exceeded like 1,000 the level that Obama's DHS secretary said overwhelmed the system. The President Obama himself caused, said at 1,000, 2,000 a day was a humanitarian crisis. Again, we've normalized seven, 8,000 people a day. Under Biden, it's averaged over 7,000 people a day since he took office. Obviously, in December, it was a disaster. 
Now, Anthony Blinken Mayorkas went down to Mexico. Mexico's kind of throttling back right now, which just proves if you want to secure the border, there are things you can do to make it better than it certainly was in December. Right. I mean, they, they act as if they have no authority whatsoever without this legislation. And all of a sudden, the minute that they're able to find another way to cast through the legislation the Democrats wanted on all of these other topics, then suddenly the State Department magically, you know, gets whipped into existence and Blinken runs down and finds all sorts of ways they can put leverage. And by the way, to your point, this is exactly the same thing that Trump used to do when he was in office. He would go to the Mexicans and he would have the Mexicans put their National Guard down on the border, the, the Mexican southern border with Guatemala and a few other areas and fight against these caravans that were coming up across. That's easily capable to do this. Uh, and at the same time, we're also told that down in our own southern border, Eagle Pass, Texas, that when uh, when Governor Abbott was able to get his uh, I don't want to say troops, but his, you know, his National Guard there, that they've reduced the crossings at Eagle Pass now to about three. And all the Biden administration really had to do is let them do their job. It's kind of as simple as that, isn't it? Well, just show how absurd this process has been is at the same time, they're supposed to negotiating a, a bipartisan deal to secure the border. President Biden is doing everything he could to frustrate Governor Abbott's attempt to actually do so. And, and, and by the way, don't be fooled by, by Blinken Mayorkas. They, they still want an open border. They just realize right now they're in political peril. The American public wants the border secured. So they're just down there trying to throttle it back to get some measure of political cover. And, and trust me, when, when you're already at 10,000 a day, uh, knocking it down to, to 7,000 a day, you say, well, we reduced it by 30%. You know, and that's, <laughs> yes. that kind of uh, metric will be used by the media to, oh, they're, they're really taking action now. Now they're getting tough. No, it's still over 7,000 people a day, which remember these caravans would be a few thousand. That would be news. Now it's not even news because it's become normalized. The American public is, is really getting numb to this assault, this invasion at our southern border. Senator, that's the exact same game uh, with the numbers that they play when it comes to the inflation rate. They'll say, oh, well, inflation's down. They say, no, the rate of inflation has come down. Inflation itself is still up. Uh, quite substantially from 2021 when the when the president took office. But they'll play this game to say that it, it's not going up as much as it used to go up and therefore it is down. I think you're right. That's exactly what they want to do with our border. 10,000 a day reduced to 7,000 a day. Oh, it's down 30%. Oh, it's down 40%. We, we've done more. But this is what the same game they always play. They normalize these things and then they say they're taking action. But of course, the new, the new normal, as we're told, is always higher than what the baseline was. It is, and we just can't let them get away with it. Uh, on inflation, real quick, the best metric there is, well, how much is a dollar you held to start the Biden administration worth today? It's 85 cents is the answer. That's not going away. So maybe the inflation rate is down, but the damage has already been done, and it's devastating. It's devastating to every American, particularly people at the low end of the income spectrum, the very same people the Democrats purport yeah. to want to help out all the time, they are, they are devastated by this massive deficit spending, so much of it going toward green energy boondoggles um, that are going to be just that. They're going to be a colossal waste of money and have zero impact on climate change, whether you believe in it or not. Well, and, and of course, uh, uh, Biden himself in his own sort of, uh, I, don't, I don't know if it was a, actually aired on TV or not, but he put out this sort of quasi Super Bowl ad where he was he was blaming what he called he was the shrinkflation aspect of this and saying it's companies 
Companies are doing this all on their own, making their package sizes smaller and acting as if it's the same amount. Uh, but he, and he, was, he was sort of expressing this as if it was happening completely in a vacuum and that nothing that was going on outside of this other than, you know, corporate greed. You know, that's the, that's the tired, old, um, you know, uh, scapegoat for all of this. It's just corporate greed. They just hate their customers. They don't want to put anything else out there. They're tricking you. And, and you know, he's sitting there eating popcorn. Do we have that clip? It's, I don't know if you saw it. It's ridiculous. Well, listen, D Democrats will always blame somebody else for the disaster that their policy recommendations created. McConnell learned from them. Uh, you know, so he's the guy. He's the mastermind. He, he wrote the bill, this disaster of a bill. Uh, once he realized how bad it was being taken by the public, first thing he did was shift to, well, the political winds have changed. We have a nominee. Trump's opposed to this, so we can't pass it. So now he's blaming Trump and when he's not blaming uh, conservatives in the House and, and in the Senate. So he's doing everything he can to shift the blame to somebody else for the problem he created. We had an opportunity using Ukraine as leverage to actually force Biden to secure the border. McConnell completely blew that opportunity. And I fear we're not going to get that opportunity back. Other than in November of 2024, we need to elect a president who wants to secure the border. That means make sure that we don't have a Democrat president, whether it's Biden or somebody else they substitute for him. It really is as simple as that. And I think that the Democrats and we've looked at some of the opinion polling here. Um, this 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 is an issue that's just absolute disaster for them. Uh, when you look at Biden, people are asking about his mental competency. Of course, we saw this report that came out last week that questioned it from his own Justice Department. Uh, then we see these questions of the border. People can see the images on their screens. And the fact that you actually have some of the mainstream media beginning to admit this i think they're absolutely desperate to change the conversation and talk about anything else they want to talk about super bowl they want to talk about travis kelsey taylor Swift, whatever they'll do anything to change the conversation from what's happening down at our southern border because they know that we're in an election year and they know that we're in a year that this is an issue that they have absolutely no credibility with with the American people. Senator Ron Johnson, we're going to stick with you one more segment coming back after the break here, because I do want to get into how all of this plays out. You say that we have to wait until November, but we know that they're going to try to push as much as they can over the next nine months. Stay tuned. Human Events Daily continues. Where's Jack? Where's Jack? Where is he? Jack, I want to see you. Great job, Jack. Thank you. What a job you do. You know, we have an incredible thing. We're always talking about the fake news and the bad, but we have guys, and these are the guys who should be getting Pulisic. All right, Jack, we're we'll back live. Washington, D.C., Human Events Daily. We're on with Senator Ron Johnson of Wisconsin. Now, Senator, $60 billion is the price tag that we were told on the current tranche of spending that looks like it's, it seems like it's going to be finding its way through the U.S. Senate. Uh, we'll see what happens in the House. And they're pushing for this to get to Ukraine. So, but, all right, let's put that number aside. What is it going to be spent on? What is so much money? And I think the American people, they look at our border, they can see, as you say, 10,000 coming across Seven to 8,000 might be what their number is, quote unquote, reduced to. That still sounds like an invasion uh, in my textbook. If uh, I think if the Ukrainians were seeing seven to 8,000 Russian troops storm across their borders every single day, they would probably call that an invasion. Uh, yet we're not supposed to. So what is this 60 billion going towards? Because over in Ukraine, 
uh, we reported over the weekend that they just fired their head of the military. They put up this other guy who doesn't have a great record. Where is all this going to? Well, it would be spent on sustaining a bloody stalemate. You know, let's get a couple of things out, you know, on top. First of all, I think most Americans want to help the freedom-loving people of Ukraine. I think that's true. Uh, I think most people think that Vladimir Putin is a evil war criminal. That's also true. Uh, but the fact of the matter is that uh, the only way this ends, because Vladimir Putin will not lose this war. They have Russia has four times the population, a much larger industrial base in Ukraine. Right now, they are they can produce four and a half million five hundred twenty-two millimeter shells, which allow them to fire ten thousand a day. The West collectively can't produce two million of these things. So we're we're outgunned. There there are people inside the Zelensky's uh, inner circle saying you can give us more weapons. We don't have the people to fire them. The average age of a Ukrainian uh, soldier right now is 43 years. So, I mean, these are grim statistics. I don't like that reality. But the reality is the only way this ends is in a, is in a negotiated settlement. And every day that goes by where this war goes on, this bloody stalemate continues, more Ukrainians die, more Russian conscripts die. I take no joy in that. These are kids ripped out of their villages by, by the evil war criminal Putin. More of Ukraine gets destroyed, which will then there'll be a lot of pressure to rebuild it. So our policy should be focused on how do we bring Vladimir Putin to the table? I think the Tucker interview was very interesting. Again, Putin's a war criminal. He's obviously not telling you the whole truth. He's certainly not talking about his atrocities in Ukraine. But an awful lot of what Vladimir Putin said was, was right. I mean, we're cutting off our nose to spite our face in some of these sanctions. Uh, the greatest threat to America in terms of debt and deficit is no longer being the world's reserve currency. Well, these sanctions are making that day come even sooner as, as Russia is beginning to figure out how to trade in things other than dollars, starting to tr trade in the, in the Chinese currency. So listen very carefully to that Tucker interview. I mean, understand, take things with a grain of salt. But a lot of the points that Vladimir Putin made are accurate. They're obvious. And so many of our people here in Washington, D.C. are just ignoring that, uh, making people believe like Ukraine can win. Ukraine can't, Putin won't lose. Putin will not lose. He's not going to lose. You have to factor that into the reality if you're going to deal with this thing effectively to bring this war to an end. So I think at this point, the last thing we ought to be doing is just willy-nilly throw another $60 billion to fuel the flames of this bloody stalemate. Do you, he mentioned repeatedly in that interview that he would be open to negotiations. He specifically mentioned uh, back-channel negotiations regarding this Wall Street Journal reporter. Uh, do you believe that he would negotiate if the United States came in good faith? Well, you know, he laid out conditions, uh, the Minsk agreement. Uh, you know, certainly I think everybody understood that uh, threatening NATO into Ukraine uh, could spark something. Um, so, you know, he's like, again, I'm not saying he's reasonable. I'm not saying I support his position, but you have to understand the other person's perspective on here. And, if, you know, let, let's face it, if the Warsaw Pact, which no longer exists, but let's say the Warsaw Pact was encringing and, and all of a sudden trying to sign up Canada uh, or Mexico, and of course we saw what the Cuban Missile Crisis was about, we didn't yeah. tolerate that. Um, and the Russia took away, we weren't threats. Well, that's not the way we view it. So it is important to understand the perspective of your adversary. Uh, respect that perspective. Uh, certainly take into account in terms of your own actions and then take a look at the result of your actions. I mean, using Ukraine as a proxy war, again, I think Americans support the freedom-loving people of Ukraine. 
well, how is the revolution of dignity now? What have been the results of that? As, as much as we support people standing up, wanting to be more Western leaning and fight for their freedom, now we got the invasion of Ukraine, the destruction of Ukraine, over 100,000 Ukrainian soldiers dead, 40,000 civilian casualties, 100,000 uh, Russian killed, you know, 100,000 more wounded. I mean, th this is an absolute disaster. Is there anything we could have done to prevent it? I think there probably was. But, you know, American weakness certainly uh, uh, in encouraged Putin to do this. And at this point in time, we've got to figure out how to end this bloody stalemate. I, I think you make a lot of sense. And even the New York Times, of course, put out a statement. Uh, they had the headline where they were saying that even even the White House has already said they're rejecting a negotiated settlement as of now. So there's Blinken again uh, at the head of the State Department and then Victoria Nuland, we know who is just there. Essentially, uh, she's sort of operating as the deputy sex state right now. I kind of wonder how much control she has over there when it comes to these negotiations or lack thereof negotiations. And again, um, Kamala Harris, not someone I usually look to for military strategy, but she had sort of an infamous comment that she made right at the beginning of this. She said, Russia's a big country and Ukraine's a small country. And you know something? I agree with her. I think she's right. And I don't think that anything that the United States can do can actually change the reality on the ground there. No, it was wishful thinking that to support a, a summer offensive like that was going to bust through and, and weaken uh, Putin's position, bring him to his knees. It's just not going to happen. And we, we've seen history. Now, I think one of the interesting parts in that, that interview, it seemed like Tucker was annoyed by this. I thought the opening... A uh, half hour where Putin was just laying out the long history of Russia. You know, I, I've sat and had a lot of time with President Vucic of, of uh, Serbia. I hear similar types of uh, uh, history lessons. Uh, yes. You have to understand this is this is something they take seriously. This impacts. This speaks to the very soul of who Russians are, which is why they sacrifice a million or more people. For example, in Stalingrad. I mean, Russians do not give up. They, they turn back Napoleon. They turn back Hitler. Uh, they're going to turn back any kind of assault from, from Ukraine in the West. Now, again, we need to do everything we can to deter them. But uh, I mean, at this point in time, I, I think Putin's learned his lesson. He, he couldn't invade Ukraine. I mean, I, these people say it's going to be a domino effect. I don't know. I, I don't think uh, Putin thought he could roll up Ukraine pretty easily. He's got to understand he attacks, attacks an NATO country. Article 5 kicks in. He's going to be facing all the weaponry of NATO. I, I just don't view him as that stupid person. I just don't. I mean, he seemed pretty intelligent, pretty knowledgeable to me. Again, an evil war criminal, but I think we ignore what he's saying at our own peril. Well, no, and I, I agree with all the points that you're making. I say as a, as a guy with a Polish background, uh, the, the Slavs are indelibly wedded to their history. And if you're asking uh, anybody from that part of Eastern Europe about why things are the way they are, you better, you better be prepared for at least 30-minute discussion of, of how things got there because that's just, what can I say? That's how they think. And uh, when it comes to these situations, it, it, and again, attacking NATO, attacking, you know, going up against Article 5, risking nuclear war, that's not something that's in the cards for them as well. That's actually what the whole thing is about, because they didn't want uh, a NATO country to have NATO bases that's directly on or really within their sphere of influence, which Ukraine was all the way up to uh, essentially just a couple of years ago from their perspective. 
And really, we're coming up on this 10-year anniversary. You mentioned the Revolution of Dignity. That's a 10 years. Uh, 10 years next week, I believe, will be the anniversary of that. And I think you're right. And I think we do need to kind of look at how the U.S. policy in this region has fared for this region. Senator Johnson, I know you got a lot of work to do. We're going to let you go. Where can people go to follow you and follow what's next with your office? Yeah, I'm, I'm awful at uh, having all the Twitter feeds, but I'm easily found on Twitter, just, uh, you know, Ron Johnson. Yeah, so send Ron Johnson, whatever that is, and you know, we're easily found on, on, the, on the Internet. We're, we don't hide. We're, we're out there. All right, Senator Ron Johnson, we appreciate the time as always. Okay. Take and, care. And, and we'll have we'll have to have you back because we know there's going to be a lot more sausage coming down from the McConnell Schumer and this new governing coalition, new governing coalition. Sounds so ominous. Sounds like something out of a sci fi movie. Thank you, Senator Johnson. God bless. Long hours. I'm always listening to human events with Jack Posobiec. Jack, we're back live, Human Events Daily. I want to tell you about today's sponsor, Allegiance Gold. Now, if you're part of the Human Events Daily audience, you know exactly what's going on with the U.S. dollar. Vladimir Putin himself said it during that Tucker Carlson interview that was seen over 200 million times. We're printing too much money, and the weaponization of the dollar was a mistake. The consequences of overprinting are already catastrophic for your family's future, and with 401k accounts, losing 25% of their value the past two to three years, why, do you, why would you continue to risk your personal savings? Don't gamble with your family's financial future. Invest in the one thing that's been proven stable for centuries, gold from the company I trust, Allegiance Gold. You won't be disappointed. I know them. I've spent time with Mark and Michael. Their relationships are based on integrity, expertise, and impeccable service. That is why they earned the highest trust rating in the precious metals industry. Go to protectwithposo.com today or call 844-577-POSO. Right now, you can get up to $5,000 in free silver with a qualifying purchase. Do not get fooled by inflated stock values or the promise that the economy is stable. Protect your financial future today with protectwithposo.com. That's protectwithposo.com, or you can call them 844-577-POSO. Now, folks, this was a huge part, and, and Senator Johnson just mentioned it there, that this was a huge, huge issue that Putin just mentioned. He just, he just kind of dropped it with Tucker when he was in that interview there and said, this was a strategic mistake on behalf of the United States, a strategic mistake that will become a grave mistake. I watched that part multiple times over. We've talked already about the rise of BRICS here on this uh, show, and we've been talking about it for a long time, plus the fact that essentially all of OPEC, or like all the major players in OPEC, have now joined with the BRICS nations. Iran just got in. The Saudis just got in. UAE, Dubai, Qatar is talking about getting in. Understand the players, understand the game. We're in a situation where the U.S. dollar and the de-dollarization movement has already begun around the world. Now, does this mean that the U.S. dollar is going to fall as the world reserve currency? Not necessarily, but what it looks like is likely to take place. Because remember, China still has their massive trade deficit with the United States, much of which is in U.S. dollar, US dollar back transactions, as well as the petrodollar around the world. And remember, the petrodollar is used because OPEC conducts their financial transactions when they sell oil, oil and natural gas around the world. It's done 
in dollar denomination. This is the real U.S. power around the world. That's what Putin was talking about. He said, you guys run the system. You guys run the casino. Anytime anybody wants oil or gas, it's got to be done in U.S. dollars. But then you went and weaponized the dollar. And you went and tried to turn your dollar into an act of, of strategic punishment for countries to do what you want, essentially as a sanction. And so what does this make countries do? They realize, hey, maybe we don't want to work within the U.S. confines anymore. Maybe we want to do something that's going to be better for us down the road if we don't decide that we want to do what the United States tells us to do. And guess what? That's led to this effort. That's led to the rise of BRICS. And at the same time, what are we doing in the United States? We continue printing. We continue spending the $60 billion for Ukraine. All of this money that's going on, which I believe it's something like $74 billion if you put the bill together for all the wars, Israel as well, around the world that we're, uh, that we're funding. Plus, I think about another $100 billion that we spent. Where do you think that money comes from? This is how inflation works. It is a silent tax, a silent tax that eats away at your spending power. And Senator Johnson just said it. One dollar at the beginning of the Biden administration is now worth 85 cents today. One dollar at the beginning of the Biden administration is now worth 85 cents today. That's incredibly rapid. How does it happen? It's called the Katian effect. And the Katian effect. It goes all the way back to the, the kingdom of France. When a new gold mine was found in France, this is during the time of, of coinage, right? And we actually had a gold standard. They actually had a gold standard. So during the time of coinage, when a new gold mine was found, you might think that the people who work at the gold mine benefit the most, or the people who live near where the gold mine exists would benefit the most, but no. No, 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 no. When a new gold mine was found, the gold was put into the system and who benefited the most? Those who were closest to the throne. Those who were closest to the throne benefited from the new gold at the expense of those furthest away. And you got other people saying, oh, well, you know, this is spending in the U.S., you know, this is U.S. defense contractors. It's going to jobs. It's going to help people. It's going to do all this stuff. And I say, do you understand that that's money that we can't get back? Whether it's through inflation borrowing or spending, that's money that you're taking out of the U.S. economy and sending elsewhere. If you're blowing up things, this is referred to, by the way, as the broken glass fallacy. You can go look this up. Um, this is Heinrich wrote about this, that it's, <laughs> or excuse me, Henry Hazlitt. Henry Hazlitt wrote about it, that just because you are spending money on something that doesn't mean it's economic productivity. It's just economic spending. If the government hires people to dig ditches and then go back the next day and refill in the, the ditches, this is what the New Deal was, by the way, that doesn't mean you're producing anything in your country. That just gives the illusion of productivity because you have false employment that's backed by U.S. government and U.S. dollars. It's all funny money. This is what FDR did. This is, what the, this is what World War II did. World War II didn't end the Great Depression. World War II, the New Deal didn't end the Great Depression. Do people actually still believe these myths? Do people actually still believe these liberal monomyths 
that get thrown at us when we're, you know, kids as in, in the textbooks. No, it's a joke. It's an absolute joke. FDR's policies made the Great Depression worse. And it was because of inflation. It was because of government programs. It was because of the New Deal and so many others. This is what's screwing up our economy now because you still see people who have this ridiculous notion, these ridiculous notions that economic spending is always going to increase, increase productivity even when you realize that you're taking money away from people that are furthest away from you because of higher prices. This is what inflation does to our nation. This is why the nation is in dire straits. This is why we need somebody back who can shut this down within 24 hours. His name begins with a T. Ladies and gentlemen, as always, you have my permission to lay a short.